0: this is undaunted life a man's podcast i'm your host kyle thompson let's get into it my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me but this i call to mind and therefore i have hope The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's Lamentations 3 versus 23-23. 20 and guys, as a quick aside, please leave a rating and review if you haven't done so already. That's what the algorithm's like. So five-star reviews, positive ratings. That's how we get this show out to more people. So we definitely appreciate that. But today is September the 11th, 2021, which marks the 20th anniversary of the attacks by Muslim fundamentalists on multiple sites inside the United States. So I just want to kind of go down through the timeline because we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about this today. A lot of things that we've learned because there's a lot of things that kind of come off this. And a lot of people are kind of giving you their, you know, their takes on kind of where we're at 20 years later and everybody has their own take and the, the things they want to focus on. So we want to do kind of a 30,000 foot view on a lot of those different things. But let's go through the timeline of that morning. At 8.46 a.m. Eastern time, Flight 11 was crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center by in New York City by jihadists. At 9.03 a.m. Eastern time, Flight 175 was crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City by jihadists. At 9.37 a.m. Eastern time, Flight 175 was crashed into the western side of the Pentagon. At 9.59 a.m. Eastern Time, the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapsed 56 minutes after the impact of Flight 175. At 10.03 a.m. Eastern Time, Flight 93, likely headed for the White House or the U.S. Capitol Building, was crashed into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The passengers on board fought back against the Muslim fundamentalist hijackers, causing the diversion and you know, saving countless lives. And then at 10, 28 a.m. Eastern time, the North Tower of the World Trade Center collapsed one hour and 42 minutes after the impact of Flight 11. So on that day, just under 3,000 people were murdered. Um, the thing with the death toll is, you know, you've heard a lot of different numbers because a lot of people are kind of quoting those numbers today. And I normally like to be incredibly, incredibly specific when it comes to things like that because each one of those people had the Imago Day. Each one of those people is very, very important. But the death toll is, is likely actually thousands more than what is being reported in a lot of different areas because of the people that have subsequently died due to terminal illnesses caused by exposure to the dust and toxins at ground zero. I mean, there are literally thousands and thousands more people that have died because of these attacks, not just the people that died on September the 11th, 2001. Um, in the deaths, there were 344 firefighters and 71 law enforcement officers. They died trying to save people in the Twin Towers. And then we have at least 10 pregnant women that were murdered that day as well. That's one thing that really drives me insane, especially with Oklahoma City bombing and with you know other attacks like this, is people don't count. The babies that were in the womb, these people that have the Imago Day, these people that are separate from their mothers, you know, it's not their body, it's a separate body entirely, but those haven't been counted. But there were at least 10 pregnant women that we know of that were murdered that day. And of those that were murdered in the Twin Towers that did not die from the initial impact of the planes or the collapse of the buildings, they either suffocated to death, they were burned alive, or they chose to commit suicide by jumping to their deaths. Which there's reportedly around 200 people that jumped to their deaths as opposed to suffering suicide or being burned alive. So that kind of brings us up to speed on the stuff that most of you already knew. But I do want to take a a quick aside for all the 9/11 truthers out there, and I do this uh, fairly often, but I feel like it's very important to continue to do this. It is one of the most heinous things that I can think of for you 20 years later to still be perpetuating the nonsense that 9/11 was an inside job. And the thing is is I don't even have to use the more, you know, advanced parts of my brain to tell you how stupid you are for thinking those things. Because again, if this were an inside job, right? If we knew about it, if we perpetuated this on our own people, aside from the fact that that would be one of the most egregious and evil things that we've ever seen in humanity, aside from that entirely. Don't you think somebody would have came out and blown the whistle by now? How many thousands or tens of thousands of people would have needed to be a part of this for for this conspiracy to actually come to fruition? How many people? Don't you think they would have put someone on Flight 93 to stop the passengers from potentially taking back over the plane? Don't you think somebody would have said, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a plane that hit the Pentagon. It was actually a bomb. I was the guy that put it there. Someone on their deathbed basically saying, yeah, I was the one that did this part or did that part. But we don't see any of that. So it's either the most well-coordinated, a uh, conspiracy of all time, or you're a complete bloody moron. And let's just say the latter is way more likely. And then also I feel like I need to do a quick aside for the, you know, not all Muslims are like that people. And the reality is, is of course you're not. Of course all Muslims aren't jihadists. Like, duh, thank you for pointing out that water is wet and the sun will come out tomorrow. Thank you so much for that. But the thing about it as is I've talked about a lot on this podcast, and as we've seen, if you study the works of Nabil Qureshi and other folks, you know, the the books that are on our our book list, these people that aren't jihadists, that are moderate or progressive Muslims even, they are not following the Quran and the Hadith in the most appropriate way. Because again, I've talked about abrogation a lot. I talked about it on the Botching Afghanistan series when I did the Lasting Death episode. You know, my episode where I kind of told you what I was thinking about this. The ninth surah. The least abrogated surah, the latest work that we have from Muhammad is the most bloodiest. It's the most bloody of, of all the things that we see inside the Quran, which was already bloody to begin with. So, no, I don't think that we should be looking at this 20 year anniversary and then, you know, looking at all the Muslims that we know in our lives and looking at them, you know, as scant and worried about them. That, that's not what anybody would be suggesting. But again, those people are not following the Quran to the letter. They're just not. But again, the title of today's episode is Forgetting 9-11 because when you're 20 years out from anything, there's a lot of forgetfulness that happens. So I want to remind you of a few things so that you don't forget it because I think this is really important. So the first thing that I think people forget is the way that you felt. And I mean, deep down in your guts, when you saw the 9-11 attacks, most of you saw this live, right? I was in Mrs. Bear's English class in 10th grade at um, you know Eisenhower High School in Lawton, Oklahoma and you know a buddy of mine Alex Thompson comes walking in to the class he had uh, been at a you know dentist appointment or doctor's appointment that morning he walks in he sat in front of me and he goes hey Kyle you know dude the we're being attacked like you know people are flying planes into the into the World Trade Center and like we're under attack right now and at the time, they didn't have televisions in the classroom. And so, you know, I, I kind of went up to the teacher and I had Alex come with me because I was like, hey, man, I don't believe you. I think you're you're pulling my leg here. And the teacher was like, yes, we've, we've received the same reports. But it wasn't until I got home that I got to see the images for the first time. And I mean, you're seeing the planes hitting the building. You're seeing the buildings collapse. You're, you're seeing the reports of a plane that crashed in rural Pennsylvania. You're seeing a lot of different things. And the thing for me is one thing that I like to do every single year, I I guess I wouldn't say that I like it. It's just something that I do out of duty. I will get all the Nat Geo and all the Discovery Channel and all the the YouTube documentaries that kind of come out and they run them again on the anniversary of September 11th every year. I make sure to watch those. Because it reminds me of how I felt in my guts when that was happening. And let's just say the thoughts are not very positive. Let's also say that if I wasn't you know, a 10th grader, but if I had been, you know, 18, 19 years old, maybe not in college or something like that, or maybe even in college, I may have been one of those guys that was standing outside of the recruiter's office that very next morning saying, send me, we're going to even the score, right? I would like to think that I would have potentially done something like that. But everyone seemingly has forgotten how they felt that day. And another thing that people have forgotten is what the world felt like on September the 11th, 2001, just in general. So, not just the feelings in your gut, but I remember driving home. Well, I wasn't driving, someone else was taking me home from school that day, and the lines to the gas stations were all the way out into the street. And and people were flooding the, the stores and trying to buy up supplies because they thought, oh my gosh, we're under attack. We're at war. And people forgot that. They forgot what happened on that day. But the other thing that's interesting is we've forgotten what the world felt like on September the 10th. Of 2001. We were at this time where it was a time of relative peace. And I thought Albert Mueller did a great thing on his podcast yesterday where he talked about how people thought we had this kind of postmodern idea that warfare is outlawed now. That we're in this, this time period of perpetual peace now. And we're not going to have to deal with warfare and attacks and any of that stuff anymore. And that's what people felt like on September the 10th. Everyone was just going about their business. No one was thinking about the men and women in uniform. No one was thinking about fundamentalist Islam. Like none of those things were on our radar. And we've forgotten the world because the world completely changed on September the 11th, 2001. Not just, you know, our perception of it. But we've also forgotten about what the world felt like on September the 12th of 2001. Because by September the 12th, the picture was starting to get a little bit clearer. And in the subsequent weeks, they would get even clearer. We kind of knew that, you know, okay, it seems like the attacks are done. It seems like America got caught off guard, but now we're on guard. You know, we're hearing things from President Bush and and we're hearing things about how we're going to go make this right. But the thing was about September 12th is we were so unbelievably unified as a people. And I mean that as a worldwide people. The, the number of countries and the number of people from other countries, can you imagine if Twitter and Facebook had been around back in that day or Instagram or whatever? Like the people that were basically, their hearts were breaking for the United States of America. Like there was no competitiveness. There was no like, oh, we don't really like America, but I guess we'll, we'll say something nice. No, no, no. Everybody was unified. Unified against this evil that they weren't even fully, you know, thinking existed prior to that day. And on September the 12th, Americans were completely unified. For once, which now, 20 years later, the idea of a unified America is, is almost unfathomable, right? When I was talking to Mike Ritland on the Botching Afghanistan podcast that we did with him, you know, I asked, you know, if another attack like that happened, do you think all of the American people would coalesce behind, you know, the, the you know, the idea that we need to go and right the ship and, you know, figure it out and, and you know, attack whoever took us out and, you know, kind of even the score? And he said 100% yes. And I, I just got to say, I don't necessarily agree with him. I don't know that that would happen now. The world is so much more divided now, right? So if you want to blame the media, if you want to blame Democrats, if you want to blame Republicans, if you want to blame, you know, conservative talk show hosts, or if you want to blame anybody, right? You know, you can point your finger in a lot of different directions, but the reality is is that we're more divided than we've ever been, except for the civil war, right? We're so unbelievably divided to where you can actually fathom a modern civil war in a lot of ways. Not that anyone's calling for that. I'm certainly not, but you can at least see it. You can see the, the foundations that are fracturing. But even look at, you know, go out into October. One of my favorite moments, and just, and just think about this, in New York City, it's game three of the World Series, and they're bringing President George Bush out to throw the first pitch. And, and I'll leave a, a video link to where there's a kind of like this little four or five minute mini documentary. But he goes out there, and the chance for USA, 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 as he's walking out there, in a stadium filled with people that certainly did not vote for him. They voted for Al Gore or not at all, right? And they just, they rained down the cheers and they knew how important of a moment this was. And George Bush goes out there and just nails a strike from the pitcher's rubber. And it was just like, man, can you imagine something like that happening now? I mean, can you imagine what it'd be like if Joe Biden went out there and tried to throw a first pitch right now? Now, he's an addled old idiot. He'd probably get lost between the dugout and the pitcher's mound, but there wouldn't be universal cheers for that man. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Trump, if he were to do the same thing, he'd get booed by, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike, right? We just, we can't even fathom a world that's like that right now. But that's what the world was like for a short period on September the 12th and onward, right? Right. But then also we've forgotten the images and the videos. Again, I talked about already that I want, you know, most of you guys, if you can, to watch some of these documentaries because we just forget these things. We we put them over here. We categorize them differently. And it's like, okay, that's just something that I've experienced in the past. I don't really want to look at that. I don't really want to face evil when we should. Again, I encourage you guys all the time. Let's push back darkness. You can't push back darkness if you don't know where darkness is, right? You, You have to know your enemy if you're going to push back against them. But here's the other thing, is I bet, I bet you that the people that were there at the site of the attacks, that they haven't forgotten the images. You know, they're etched into their brains. In addition to the sounds of people yelling for help, the sound of the buildings falling down, the sound of the thud when a human being would hit the ground after diving off the 80th story of a building, what about the smell? They probably haven't forgotten the smell of the fire. The smell of the burning flesh? What about the taste, just being able to taste the dust and the death in the air? They haven't forgotten that. But also, there there's some forgetfulness in terms of you might not think about 9/11 every day, okay? Just to be fair. I don't either right? I I don't set a self, hey, I'm going to set a reminder for 10 a.m. every morning to think about 9-11. It's just not something that I do. It's not something anyone does. But there are tens, if not not hundreds of thousands of people that lost loved ones on that day that do think about it every day. They think about 9-11 every day. One of, if not the lowest point for the United States of America is something that they experience viscerally every single day. And we forget that. Right. Because, again, I understand that there's there's fatigue when it comes to being empathetic towards too many things at once. I say that all the time. It's impossible to be outraged or sympathetic or empathetic towards too many things. You will absolutely explode as a person. But we got to remember that there's still people suffering even 20 years later. And we also we have obviously seen this recently. We've forgotten why we went to war in Afghanistan in the first place. Right, Because you voted for Joe Biden and you don't want to be an idiot and you don't want to act like you're not on the right team and you, know, you want to be on the right side of history and so you're somehow doing some sort of mental gymnastics to pretend like us pulling out of Afghanistan when and how we did was done perfectly and you wouldn't change anything. And you're going through all that right now. But let's go back to when we actually went to war. When we scrambled the U.S. military and went to war in Afghanistan. Why did we do that? Al Qaeda mainly perpetuated this attack on the homeland. And they were being protected by the Taliban, which was running Afghanistan. Now, we can talk about Pakistan. We can talk about Saudi Arabia. We can talk about all these other different things about people that had some sort of a hand in 9-11, right? But that's why we went. And they were welcome for the fight. But we went over there, literal guns blazing, to even, not, I guess not even even the score, but to provide judgment for what happened. We could not have left that unresponded to. You know, all these people that are like, oh, you're just a war hawk and you're just, you just want us to be at war perpetually and all these different things. No, no, no. But if we did nothing, think about this, guys. If we had done nothing after 9-11, what would ever stop anyone from wanting to attack us? And not just the, the countries that hate us, right? You know, Russia or Iran or China or any of those types of things, North Korea. But why would it stop anybody? Right? Because at a certain point, you have to punch back. And in that moment, it was the only realistic explanation for us. It was the only realistic thing for us to do. But we've also forgotten about the men and women that died fighting in Afghanistan, right? You know, there's a lot of, and, and, you know, I'm not being critical of these people, but there's a lot being made of these 13 lives that were lost, you know, as, you know, Kabul was being evacuated, those 13, uh, you know, U.S. military members. And I 100% support every one of those, right? Right. You know, there's a, there's a memorial, like a mile from my house, a guy put out 13 flags and these pictures and it's right there on the side of the road. It's beautiful. And it's, it's awesome. All these, you know, bars and restaurants and sports teams that are leaving 13 seats, you know, you know, unaccount or, you know, can't sit here. These are reserved for these people. I'm 100% for all of that. The thing that's interesting is there were thousands of our military members that have died and we're putting a tremendous amount of emphasis on the last ones that died over there. We're forgetting about all the others. And so again, you could extend this out way further. There were the people that died there that day because of the attack. And then there's people that have died subsequently because of other things, right? Whether it be that the cancer that was caused, as I already talked about, or warfare or whatever. But here's perhaps the most important point. And, you know, I don't really know. You, you can judge for yourself. We've forgotten why we were attacked. Why we were attacked on that day. Okay. So. We weren't attacked because we were occupying their land because at the time we weren't. That, that's a modern thing like, oh, we're, you know, we're, be, we're creating terrorists because we're just there. You know, we weren't attacked because we killed their fathers and, and radicalized their sons. That, that's a common thing that a lot of people on the political left or people that are anti-war. It's like, well, you keep killing these guys and then, you know, their kid's four years old and they see that their dad's not there anymore. And then when they become of age, they're so mad that they're going to join the Taliban. And surely there's been something like that that has happened, Right. There have been people that have been turned into, you know, soldiers because of thing because we took out their evil fathers. I'm I'm sure something like that has happened, okay? But we were attacked on that day because they hate us. They hate us. And the they, you know, being true fundamentalist Muslims, the adherents of the least abrogated surah of the Quran, the ninth surah, and the hadith towards the end of the so-called Prophet Muhammad's life, okay? That's why we were attacked. Because Muhammad and all the people that have perpetuated, you know, the the true core of Islam require it. And and here's kind of a small aside, because some of you maybe haven't heard this before, but you know, let's bring in the Palestinian conflict, the Israel-Palestine conflict in here just a little bit. You've likely heard Dennis Prager, you know, Prager U say this in his speeches. But if the Israelis were to lay down their weapons, okay. You know, hey, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to lay down our weapons. There would be a genocide of the Jews that would begin immediately. But if the Palestinians were to lay down their weapons and say, we're not doing this anymore, peace would immediately begin. Immediately. That's the difference that people don't quite understand, especially people that have this leftist worldview where, you know, there's some sort of perfectibility inside humans and they assume that all humans are decent and good. But we as Christians know that, no, we, we have a sin nature. We are flawed beyond imagining, right? So we don't assume that people are just good outright. We know that they're not. But again, these pe- there's nothing we could have done to these people to have prevented this from happening. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of financial aid. There, there's no amount of technology. There's no amount of concerts we could have thrown in their backyard. That is foolish to think otherwise. We were attacked because they hate us, because we are the infidel. We are the biggest middle finger in the West, and they want the entire West to fall. And the last thing I'll talk about here in terms of us forgetting is a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us have forgotten to tell our children about that day. You know, the, the common refrain is never forget, right? We're never going to forget. But again, this entire podcast is about us forgetting. We have forgotten. Because again, this happened 20 years ago. So your kid could be in college right now and have no idea. And essentially, they wouldn't. Like, let's say they're 22 years old, right? They were two when this happened. Two. Like, they couldn't fathom, right? Maybe they're three, four, or five years removed From college, Maybe they're in grad school. Maybe they're getting their doctorate. They can't, they can't feel what you felt on that day. And it reminds me of Pearl Harbor because Pearl Harbor doesn't affect me the same way that it did my grandparents. Because they were the one, they were the ones reading the newspaper, seeing that we had been attacked, right? Grandparents and great grandparents, right? 9-11 is visceral to them. And then, or sorry, Pearl Harbor was visceral to them. And then 9-11 became visceral to them, you know, however many decades later right? But our kids need to understand what the world was like. You need to have this conversation with them. When they're of age and that is up to you to determine, you need to show them the videos of what happened on that day. You need to sit down and have a talk to to them about fundamentalist Islam, about the fact that these people attacked us and we didn't do anything to them to begin with, right? We need to tell our children about that day. I mean, my son is, you know, 16 months old, right? It's going to be years and years and years before we have the talk about 9-11. You know what I mean? But it's going to happen. He, He has to understand and he will understand that there's evil out there that only God can stamp out, right? And there are ideologies out there that will only be taken care of whenever there's a new heavens and a new earth. But he needs to know about evil. A lot of churches, a lot of ministries, a lot of parents, a lot of people don't want to talk about the reality of evil. I mean, we talked about this with Andrews and Wilson, you know, because that was kind of a theme of Dark Intercept in some of their novels. But again, people get really, really uncomfortable with evil because they want to assume there's good in everybody. They they want to assume that there is no sin nature right? They want to assume that somehow their child is going to be different. You probably heard me t- talk about this before. There was this woman that stood up because this preacher was basically talking about how even children have a sin nature. And she's like, no, I don't agree with that. Like my, my children, uh, they're not sinners. They're, they're perfect, blah, blah, blah. And he basically looked at this woman and says, when did you start teaching your kid to be selfish? You know, at what age do you appropriately teach them to interrupt and be rude? Or do they just do that naturally? Right. Which is a nice way to shut the woman up at that point. But again, we know as Christians, I've said it before, I'll say it again, we know as Christians that there is deep-seated darkness in everyone, and it's called sin. We can't escape it. We were born into it. And the only way that we can be saved is through the blood of Christ. Now, at the beginning, I read from Lamentations, and I'll just reread it again here. This is Lamentations 3, 20 through 23. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So if you're not familiar, these are the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And and again, I want to focus in on verse 21 here. Okay. Because most people focus on, you know, the the great is your faithfulness because, you know, great is thy faithfulness and the song and all the things, but let's focus on verse 21. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. If you have time, which I would highly suggest you do this. So, so this is in Lamentations 3. Read Lamentations 1 and Lamentations 2 and up through verse 20 in Lamentations 3. Because this is, it's arguable, but from from my reading, this is perhaps the first time in the book of Lamentations that hope of any kind is spoken of, right? The, the, The Adam Clark commentary puts it this way, quote, he humbles himself under the mighty hand of God and then his hope revives, unquote. So. This entire book, you know, I think, you know, Jeremiah was referred to as the weeping prophet, right? I mean, it is excruciating the words that he's writing. This guy had to be going through some excruciating, you know, mental and emotional and and spiritual strain at that time. But he found hope. He found it after he humbled himself before the Lord. But his hope was in the steadfast love of the Lord. In his mercy. Again, I talk all the time about this podcast about we need to talk about truth. We need to talk about truth. But in the mercy of the Lord and how great it is and how it's new every morning, basically assuming that it just never runs out. His grace doesn't run out on a daily basis, right? It's always there for us, right? And so how does that apply to what we're going through today? Because tomorrow, or or, sorry, like today and and all the days subsequent to that, there are people that are going to be lamenting. They're going to be just absolutely wailing over this. And for Americans, we've all been wounded by this, especially those that were old enough to really understand what happened on that day. But the Lord is there for us. He does have a steadfast love that can sustain us. And that is why we share the gospel. That is why we give people the story, because again, every worldview has an origin, meaning morality, and destiny. Origin, where do we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, how do you tell between good and evil? And destiny, where do you go when we die? I just happen to believe that Christianity has the best answers to all those questions. It's the most cogent worldview to help us understand our plight as humans and what we should do moving forward. But there's a lot of emotions on a day like today for a lot of people, most of you listening to this podcast, but again. The Lord's mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost out on daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I've got a link to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum website. There's some great resources on there. I've also got a YouTube video of uh, New York after 9-11. So it's kind of a timeline documentary. So that's going to give you some of the imagery that I was talking about earlier. And then also I got a YouTube video of President Bush's opening pitch at Yankee Stadium after 9-11. So it's a little you know four or five minute vignette that you can check out. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast, wherever you're listening to this, just like I said, please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a positive review, please. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and you can check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links to all this are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah